Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Starting a mini-series, three-part series, on the reason for the season. We all are bombarded with the commercialism of the Christmas season, and I think we need to make sure that we as Christians are remembering the true reason for the season. And so we will be looking at three different messages that will center upon the salvation that God has brought us through Jesus Christ, that we might serve and worship Him. Now the message today is from over in Revelation chapter 5. Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 5. And the title of the message is Born to Die. Born to Die. Now over in Revelation chapter 5, we have a vision into heaven. It starts in chapter 4 as John looks into heaven and sees God upon his throne and the living creatures, and the elders. And then we continue with that heavenly scene in chapter 5. Now there are three things that we will see in chapter 5. We'll see the sealed scroll, we'll see the slain lamb, and we will see the shouting host. Now stand in respect for the Word of God as I read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, or scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping, John. Behold, the lion is from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and with the living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book, and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom 
and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and hearing and most of all the obeying of His Word. As this scene develops in heaven, a scroll sealed with seven seals comes into prominence. This seal scroll is held in the hand of God Almighty who is on the throne. The word is sent out. Who's worthy to open this scroll? And no one is found. Now what's the meaning of the scroll? It's crucial that we understand this scroll and its meaning if we're going to understand this chapter. If you fail to understand the meaning of the scroll, the chapter will not make sense. So this scroll is, first of all, a wheel. It was a common appearance of a wheel in John's day. In fact, Emperor Vespasian and Caesar Augustus both had wheels that were scrolls sealed with seven seals. But I believe it's more than just any ordinary wheel. This is none other than the wheel of mankind's forfeited inheritance. Now we need to go back to the Old Testament law. Much of Revelation is steeped in Old Testament allusions and symbolism. And we need to go back to the Old Testament. You remember when Israel possessed the promised land, each tribe was given a section of the land. That was their inheritance. And within each tribe, each family was given a section that became their inheritance. Now, every 50 years, in the year of Jubilee, all the inheritance would go back to the original owners. For instance, you might, for various reasons, sell your land, or you might lose it because of debt. But when the year of Jubilee came back around, your family would once again receive their inheritance. But between that 50-year period, you might lose that inheritance. Perhaps you would sell it. Or perhaps, again, because of some debt, you had to give it up. Now, when you did that, it would be written on a scroll, and the conditions that had to be met in order to redeem that land back to your family during that 50-year period would be written on the scroll, and it would be sealed. Now, not just anyone could come and redeem your lost inheritance. It had to be a relative. It had to be the closest kin. That person was called the kinsman redeemer. And if that kinsman redeemer could meet the conditions on the outside of the scroll of your lost inheritance, then he could redeem that inheritance for you. I believe what we see in the hand of God the Father is mankind's forfeited inheritance. Forfeited because of Adam's sin. When God created man, he gave him 
an inheritance. This inheritance is threefold. First, He gave them eternal life. They had communion with Him in the garden. He also gave them, secondly, physical life. You remember, He breathed into Adam, and the Scripture says He became a living soul. And then thirdly, He gave them dominion over the world. He told them to exercise dominion over the world. But when Adam sinned, he forfeited this inheritance. He forfeited eternal life. You remember, he could no longer have communion with God. He was thrown out of the garden. He forfeited physical life. For the moment he sinned, he began to die. And death has reigned since that day. And he also lost dominion over the world. No longer would it be easy, but thorns and weeds would grow up, and the animals became wild, and it was a struggle to exercise his dominion over the earth. And so here we see in Genesis chapter 3 the fallen condition of the world and of mankind. Man has lost his eternal life, Man stands under the penalty of death. Man needs a kinsman redeemer. He needs someone who can redeem his lost inheritance. And so the angel in verse 2 calls out to see if there's someone who is worthy to redeem mankind's lost inheritance. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? Who is fitting? The word worthy means deserving. Who is qualified to open the book and break its seals? In other words, to redeem mankind's lost inheritance. And no one in heaven was found. The word went out in all of heaven. Who is worthy to open the book? Who is worthy to redeem a mankind's lost inheritance? Moses, one of the greatest figures of the Old Testament. Moses, the mediator of the Old Covenant. Moses, the one that had divided the Red Sea, was silent because he was not worthy to open the book. Abraham, the father of the faithful, the one that had been the head of Israel, that had started the nation, He could not say anything, for he knew he was not worthy. Elijah, the great prophet that called down fire from heaven, could not say anything because he knew he was not worthy. David, King David, who wrote some of the most beautiful psalms that there have been in Scripture, who was a man after God's own heart, knew that he was not worthy, so he had to remain quiet. Gabriel the archangel and Michael the archangel, when the call went out, who is worthy? They had to remain silent because they knew they were not worthy to redeem mankind's inheritance. So no one in heaven was found. And then earth was searched from one end to the other and no one on earth was found who was worthy. Muhammad is not worthy to interpret. Confucius is not worthy. Buddha is not worthy. Joseph Smith is not worthy. No one on earth could be found who was worthy to open the seals to redeem our lost inheritance. And then under the earth was searched. 
and not Satan and all of his demons, was one found who was worthy. And then in verse 4, John begins to weep greatly because no one is found. No one's worthy to be our kinsman redeemer. No one is worthy to redeem our forfeited inheritance. And when John realizes this, he weeps greatly. And the word there means to wail. There is no mourning. There is no quiet crying. But he is wailing. He is sobbing greatly. And wouldn't you be as well if you were standing there with John? His tears represent the hopelessness of knowing that we must forever live under the condemnation of our sins. To know that if no one is found, that we will have to forever under endure the holy wrath of Almighty God in the eternal fires of hell. Since no one is worthy to redeem the inheritance, we will forever stand under the filth and pollution of our sins. We will never have our sins washed away. We will always feel the oppressive guilt of our wrongdoings and of our sins that we have offended a holy God. Imagine the hopelessness and helplessness that John feels as he knows that he is forever doomed to be separated from a holy God and suffer eternally away from the presence of God and His angels. What despair he must have felt. And he weeps, he cries, he wails loudly. And then the elder says, Stop, John. Stop weeping. Behold, the Lamb that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. John is weeping and crying and wailing and the elder says, Stop, John! There is one and only one that has been found who is worthy to redeem mankind's lost inheritance, their lost eternal life. And then the elder begins to describe the identity of this one. And he's first described as the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. That's our first indication of who this one is. And this is a reference to Genesis 49, when Jacob prophesies and And it says, Judah is a lion's whelp. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. The elder says, there is one, and he is from the tribe of Judah. He is a lion. He is a ruler. This one is able. And then he's described, secondly, as the root of David. Again, this is an Old Testament reference to Isaiah 11. It says, Then a shoot will spring up from the root of Jesse. And you remember, Jesse was David's father. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. This prophecy says, As the stump 
of the line of David as the stump, as his family has been cut off, a root will grow. A new branch will grow from that root. And that one will descend from David and he will be a ruler and a king. And so he said, John, stop weeping because there is one, notice, who has overcome. Now, if there's one thing clear from Scripture, it is that the line of Judah, the root of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, has already overcome. He's already done everything to qualify himself to redeem our lost inheritance. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 talks about this when it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. He took on flesh and blood. He became that babe in Bethlehem. Why? That through death he might render him powerless. And that word means devoid of all power. Weak. Useless. He might render him powerless who had the power of death. That is the devil. That Jesus overcame and took the power of death away from the devil. Also in Colossians 2.15 we read, And when he, Christ, had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he, and that spiritual rulers and authorities, the powers of Satan, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through it, through the cross. At the cross, Jesus defeated Satan, and not only defeated him, but made a public display of him before the powers of the universe as he triumphed over him through the cross. And then Jesus, in John 16, says, In the world you have tribulation, But take courage, I have overcome the world. Overcome. The line of Judah, the root of David, the Lord Jesus has overcome. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is able to redeem our lost inheritance. He is able to restore to us the eternal life that was lost. To give us, again, eternal life that we might live forever and have victory over death and give us a new creation. And then we see in verse 6, John looks. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders. What does John see? What does John see? Does he see a king ruling and reigning, the lion of the tribe of Judah? Does he see a victorious, royal, attired king who has overcome? No. He sees a baby lamb. A baby lamb. Now there are two words in the Greek for lamb. One is an adult lamb. The other is a baby lamb. It would be similar to an English language. We have the word dog and we have the word puppy. The word baby lamb is the word that's used 
John looks and he sees a baby lamb standing as if slain. And that word slain was a word used of the slaughter of the sacrifice. The little baby lamb there has his throat slit as a sacrificial animal. You remember in the Old Testament that not just any lamb could be used for the Passover, but they had to take a baby lamb, the firstling of the flock. And this little baby lamb was put into the bosom of the family for three days, four days. They brought this lamb into the house. You know why? So they'd fall in love with it. It was like a pet. Because God wanted them to sense the pain of sin and the atonement that must be made and the price of the atonement. So after this baby lamb had been there and the kids had played with it and they had loved it and no doubt named it, then on the fifth day that baby lamb was taken and his throat was slit and his blood was drained and it was put over the doorpost so that when the death angel came through, he would see the blood and he would pass over. John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What John sees is he sees the baby lamb, the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb. Notice standing. He's standing because he is victorious. He's standing because he is accomplishing the salvation of his people. And then, as we look, he has seven Horns. Horns represent power. Seven is the number of perfection. This represents the omnipotence, the all-powerful nature of God. And then also, he sees seven eyes. Again, this represents omniscience, the all-knowing. That he alone, this Lamb of God, alone of all the creatures of the universe, of all the creatures of human history, He is the only one who is qualified, who is worthy to redeem our lost inheritance. Now look in verse 7. And He, the Lamb, came and took the book out of the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. This is the Lamb of God redeeming our lost inheritance. When He takes that scroll out of the hand of God the Father, it is saying He has redeemed His people. He has restored the lost inheritance of His people. Now I want you to notice the response in heaven when this takes place. Now imagine all of heaven is there waiting, looking at this scene unveiled, looking at this scene unfold as the scroll is there and the lost inheritance and the voice goes out throughout the universe, who is worthy and no one is found. And John cries and weeps and wails, the despair, the hopelessness. And then the elder says, wait John, there is one. 
And then they see the Lord Jesus, that land, slain lamb. And then He comes and He takes the hand. He takes the scroll out of the hand of the Father. And oh, what shouting, hallelujah time, breaks out in heaven. Verse 8. He had taken the book and the four living creatures and the 24 elders. First, they fall down in humble adoration. They fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So the first response in heaven is to fall down in humble adoration before the Lamb. And then there is the breaking out into a new song. Notice the song emphasizes the worthiness of the Lamb. And His worthiness is because of His sacrificial death. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. They are proclaiming the worthiness of the Lord Jesus, praising His sacrificial death that He has purchased men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He's purchased them how? Through His precious blood. Peter writes, You are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As a lamb unblemished, the blood of Christ. His sacrificial death is praised. I think this is one of the greatest missionary verses in all of Scripture. They are proclaiming that Jesus has purchased for God people, somebody in every tribe tongue, people, and nation. Somebody from all of these. So you have a confidence as a missionary that He's going to save somebody in every tribe, every people group, every nation throughout the world. So as a missionary, you can go out in confidence proclaiming the gospel knowing that those whom Jesus has purchased will come to God the Father. Tremendous verse of missionary assurance. And then all the host of heaven has to get in on this in verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads. And that really could be translated innumerable. Thousands upon thousands. Saying with a loud voice, now not only have they been singing, but now they start shouting. Again, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Again, His sacrificial death. He was born to die. He came as that baby so He could die for us. To receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Notice how the shouting, the crescendo is building. Notice now 
Heaven is so excited that every created thing's got to get in on it now. Its excitement is building and growing. And verse 13, And every created thing which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in them, He's included everything, breaks out in praise. I heard Him saying, To Him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures fell down and said, Amen. Amen means truly. So be it. When Jesus would say, Truly, truly, I say unto you, or verily, verily, I say unto you. You know, it's really Amen, Amen, I say unto you. These four living creatures are affirming the trustworthiness of this praise that all of creation is giving to God. Truly, truly, He deserves this praise. Truly, truly, He has redeemed mankind's lost inheritance. Truly, truly, is the Lamb's worth beyond measure. And the last thing, and the elders fell down and worshipped. When all is said and done, when all the praise and shouting and singing in heaven is done, what we have is worship. Worship. All of the universe has been created to worship our God. The missionary call is to spread the worth of God through the world so that He might be worshipped by mankind. That His own would fall before Him in worship. That's the reason for the season. Jesus Christ came as a baby that He might redeem His people from their sins. That He might restore to us that eternal life that was forfeited by Adam. That He might give us a life everlasting in a resurrected body. And that He would give us a new heaven and a new earth. Dominion again restored. All that is to bring us to the place of worship. Worship. Will you spend time during this Christmas season worshiping? Not letting yourself get caught up with the materialism and the the decorations and the parties and the festiveness. But remember, it's all about worship. Worshiping the one who came so that we might live eternally. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, And to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry. 
which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.